I have a book in my office that's titled Turning Points. And in the book, the author, whose name is Mark Knoll, looks at the history of the Christian church. And he identifies around 12, 13 major events, significant defining moments, major moments of decision, difficulty that fundamentally changed or shaped the church to make her look like we know her today. It's a really interesting book. He considers the fall of Jerusalem, the rise of Charlemagne, the Protestant Reformation, among other major events. And it's a really interesting way to look at all of history. I think we know there have been those moments in human history that are defining, turning points. They, they really changed things. Let's broaden the scope a bit just beyond the history of the church. Think about these major events from human history. The invention of the printing press in the 15th century. The invention of the internet, for better or for worse. The slicing of bread. The opening of the first Chick-fil-A. These things happened, and we are not the same because of it. Now, as incredible and significant as all of these moments are, were, are, they still have an effect today, I'm here to announce to you, church family, that there has never been a more important moment, a more important turning point in all of human history than the event that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because... This event didn't just alter the course of human history, at least from our perspective. It has the potential to alter our eternity. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that this gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is alive, is of first importance to us. He, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and the twelve. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus must be, must remain of first importance to us as Christians because this news, this good news, forms the foundation of our faith. It is the security of our Christian hope. So here's our goal today on this Resurrection Sunday. From the witness of Matthew in his 28th chapter, as he writes under the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit, I want to show us why the gospel must remain of first importance to us. Why the resurrection of Jesus was and is the defining turning point in all of human history. And moreover, what our response to that event should be. I got good news for you, church. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. Let's look at Matthew 28. We're gonna read the first 15 verses of this chapter, and here's what the word of God says. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. They passed out. But the angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. 
He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's alive, that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, hey, tell the people his disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Have you ever had a day that didn't go the way you thought it would? I remember... Several years ago, Jordan and I were coming home to our brand new home in Dallas and Jordan walked through the front door and as she stepped on our hardwood floors, water began pouring out because there was a pipe that wasn't sealed properly and one of the interior walls that was leaking water for a significant period of time. Needless to say, our day was changed. In fact, the next several days were radically changed. Have you ever had a a day like that? Well, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had an even more surprising day than probably our most surprising day. The Bible says after they observed the Sabbath, they went early to see the tomb. Now, Mark tells us they were going to finish anointing Jesus's body. But I love the language here from Matthew. He's telling us what they went to see. They went to see the tomb. They expected a dead body. But they got something really unexpected on their visit. An angel of the Lord appeared, accompanied by an earthquake. It seems like the angel used the earthquake to roll back the massive stone, protecting, guarding, sealing up the tomb where Jesus was laid. And he did this so they could witness the miracle behind it. He doesn't leave these women wondering why he is there. No, true to his name, the angel begins to declare over them good news of great joy that is for all people. And the news he declares, church, is eternity-altering, life-changing news. Now, to help us make sure we have wrapped our collective minds around this news, I want to ask two questions directly from our text. Firstly, what is the news? What is the news the angel came to proclaim? And then secondly, what should our response be to this news? The scripture helps us answer both. Firstly, what's the good news? We need to know it. If it is the most important news in the history of the world, it is the most important turning point in in all of our history. Let's make sure we know what it is that the angel has declared. And he tells us the thrust of his message in verse six. He says to them, I know you've come to look for Jesus, but he is not here. He is alive, just as he said. What's What's the good news that we celebrate today, church? Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus is alive, and this is all just as he 
said. Let's dive into each part of the declaration of the angel. Part one, he says, Jesus is not here. The tomb is empty. Look, I I roll back the stone for you. Go inside, sit around, look around. He ain't there. This is a significant development in our story. Matthew wants us to pay attention to it because directly before this account in Matthew 28, we have some people working to make sure that what is happening right now did not happen. If you were with us last week, you may remember these verses. Matthew 27, verse 62 to 66. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, this is after Jesus is buried, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said to him, Sir, we remember how that imposter, we're talking about Jesus, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead, because that last fraud would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you've got a guard of soldiers? Go make it as secure as you can. So they went. They made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The chief priests And the Pharisees had been listening to the teaching of Jesus. And they knew that he said he would rise on the third day. They didn't believe he could actually come back from the dead. Their hearts had already been hardened against him. But they did think it was possible that the disciples could somehow hoodwink the guards, sneak in, steal his body, and then tell everybody, oh, no, no, he, he came back from the dead. So they take extra precautions to make sure that nobody can get in. They have armed guards placed outside. They, they put a really heavy stone in front of the grave to block it, and they seal the stone with an official seal that says, if you don't have the authority to come in, you cannot come in. They did everything in their power to make sure no one was getting in and no one was getting out. Yet, in spite of all that effort, the angel says the tomb is empty. So maybe if we stop right there, if we don't read any further, our minds may begin to wonder, well, what happened? How is the tomb empty? Well, people have been trying to answer this question ever since it happened. Did the disciples actually somehow get in? Did they get past the guards and miraculously open the tomb and then move Jesus' body to a secret location? Well, that's what the Jewish leadership at the time hopes people will believe. Because at the end of our passage today, we see them paying off the guards to tell them what happened was what they didn't want to happen at the end of 27. A little bit of irony there, right? Pilate, if these disciples come in and they they get Jesus' body out and they tell everybody he he came back from the dead, that, that first fraud will be worse than the second. Now they're praying people actually believe his disciples stole his body because they know if what happened really happened, they're in trouble. Or maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe somehow, even though he was beaten to the point of death and crucified, miraculously he was able to get up, summoning superhuman strength, rolling the stone away, and then just walked away. Now, I don't want to chase this rabbit trail too far because the angel clarifies. Here's why the tomb is empty. Part two, Jesus is alive. He was really dead. But now he's really alive. And suddenly, friends, the good news gets even better. Because if he's alive, 
That changes everything. These women saw Jesus die. And yet an angel of the Lord is declaring to them that death could not hold him. No, he has conquered death. Now to help us really grasp the significance of this portion of the good news, we're going to move forward a little bit in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Gospels don't really develop the significance of the resurrection. They just testify to the fact that it happened. So listen to how Paul builds for us an understanding of why the fact that Jesus is alive matters. We're going to read verses 12 to the first part of 27 in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what the Bible says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. And we did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ would have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, every power. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjugation under his feet, yes, even death. According to Paul, the resurrection is significant. The fact that Jesus is alive is significant for at least two reasons. The the resurrection offers a display of God's power, and it also offers a picture of what awaits those who are in Christ. The fact that Jesus is alive is a testimony to the fact that God has power over sin and death. The consequence, friends, of our sin is death. We see that in Paul's writing in verse 22. Verse 22. But praise be to God that in the resurrection of Jesus, we see God demonstrating his power over our greatest enemy, rescuing us from its cruel bondage. There was a time when death seemed to be the end, but now in Christ, it no longer has the final say. You may remember earlier in Jesus's ministry, there was a moment when people lost hope because of death. It surrounded a story with a guy named Lazarus. Do you remember the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? He gets really sick. Jesus loves this family, and the family sends word to Lazarus and says, hey, your, your friend, your brother who you love, Lazarus, is about to die. He's really said, you need to come now. But Jesus didn't get there in their time. He got there in his own time, and Lazarus dies. And his family comes to meet them, and they're, they're weeping. And they said, oh, Jesus, we know if you had gotten here while he was sick, you could have done something. But now he's dead, so there's no hope. There's no hope. There's nothing you can do. But do you remember how Jesus responds? 
No, no, no. Death does not have the final say. He's simply sleeping because I am the resurrection and the life. You may think death has the final say. No, no, no. I am the word of God. I am the son of God. I have the final say. And what we got a glimpse of in John chapter 11 is on full display here in Matthew chapter 28 as Jesus is declaring for all who will look in faith that he has victory over death. As Paul writes later, death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting of death may be sin, but thanks be to God because we have victory over death through our Lord Jesus. Christ. It is a display of God's power. It's also a picture for us of what awaits those of us who are in Jesus. Paul says that what we witnessed in Jesus in his resurrection, the fact that he is alive, is the first fruits of what actually awaits all of us who are in Jesus. We see that in verse 20. Christ died and was resurrected. So too we, if we are in Jesus, will die and be resurrected, unless, of course, he returns and Lord come. Heaven and earth will pass away and then be made new, joined together by a new Jerusalem. The resurrection of Jesus is the key to the greater resurrection on which we build our Christian hope. A greater work of new life awaits. A greater work of new creation awaits. And what is the guarantee that God can accomplish all these things? What is, the, what is the foundation for us as the people of God to set our hope on these coming promises? The fact that Jesus is alive. And then there's a third part here. He's not there. He's alive just as he said. The final part of the angel's declaration is that everything that is taking place is taking place at the direction of God, just like Jesus said it would happen. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus has been telling us that all of this would take place. You may remember if you were with us last Easter, we looked at Matthew chapter 12. The scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus to give, him, to give them a sign to prove that Jesus is all that he said he was. Hey, give me a sign. Give us a sign to prove that you are the son of the living God. And he says, he responds in verses 39 and 40, the only sign I will give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, guess what just happened? Pay attention, because someone greater than Jonah is here. There's more. He talks about this in Matthew 16, 21. After Peter's foundational confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus teaches his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem to be killed and then come back to life, be raised from the dead on the third day. It's a message that's echoed in Matthew 17, 23, Matthew 20, verse 19, and Matthew 26, 32. And that last declaration just happened a few days prior to what we're seeing here in Matthew 28. And yet the disciples still don't understand. Are they at the tomb on the third day thinking, where's Jesus? Is he alive? Did even the women go to see a resurrected Lord? No, they came looking for the tomb. But if you had ears to hear, if you had eyes to see, there was something wonderful awaiting. 
And also remember church, Jesus didn't just testify to this in his earthly ministry as the word of God. He's been testifying to this reality from the beginning throughout the Old Testament. Listen to Psalm 16, 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. There are echoes in the Old Testament if we will pay attention pointing us to this reality, showing us that this was God's plan all along. The witness from scripture is essential to understanding the full weight of the gospel. What's happening in Matthew 28 is not God's plan B. Oh, hey, Holy Spirit, they got the son. Can we run through a couple of different other scenarios to figure out how we're gonna get out of this? No, from Genesis to Revelation, the testimony, the witness of scripture is Jesus is the plan, the only plan. And everything happening to him is just as God designed and desired it to be. Listen, we don't have to worry. We don't have to, to cry and weep fearing that no one is worthy to open the scroll as John did in the book of Revelation, that no one is able to unleash God's glorious plan of redemption upon the world because we have seen in the resurrection that Jesus is worthy. Worthy are you, Revelation 5, to take the scroll, open its seals, for you were slain, your blood ransomed, for a people, from, for God, from, from every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign with him on the earth. Hear the good news. This Easter Sunday, Jesus is not in the tomb. He's alive, just as he said. He's alive and that changes everything. Or at least it should. This leads us to our second question for this Easter Sunday. What do we do with this news? How are we to respond to the declaration of the angel, the witness of Scripture? Thankfully, our text helps us there as well. We're going to turn our attention to the faithful women because they will serve as a guide. What did they do when they heard the proclamation of the angel. What did they do when they encountered the resurrected Christ? There are two primary responses. First, they worshiped. They expressed their joy and worship of the, of the resurrected Jesus. And then secondly, they declared. They expressed their joy and declaration to the people who needed to hear the message. And their response should be our response. Listen, we should express our joy in worship because of what God has done for us in Christ. The angel tells the women the good news after assuring them that they have no need to be afraid. And after they hear this news, the tomb is empty. After they witness the truth of what it is that, they, that he declared, the Bible says that they leave there with fear and great joy. Verse 8, now that's a, it's a different kind of fear. It's a sense of awe that God could accomplish this. Remember, they're seeing incredible displays of God's power, but it also leads to joy. 
And then on their way to tell the disciples, they encounter Jesus. And he's like, hey, what's up? Greetings. And their life is never the same. They fall on their, their face. They grab his feet. They will not let him go. And they worship him, verse 9. They express this joy, they express this awe and praise. And that's what our worship is, friends. It's our joy in Jesus expressed. Is Christ alive? Yes. Is the tomb empty? Yes. We should be overwhelmed by the power of God to accomplish that. We should be overwhelmed with joy that he would allow us to partake of the victory he secured in Christ. When we get a hold of this reality by the help of the Spirit when we realize this was God's plan from the beginning to give us his son, for his son to willingly die. When we see the love of God on display for us, the power of God, somehow our hearts are enraptured with affection for Jesus. Our hearts are filled with joy that must come out of our mouth in praise of our God who is worthy. Amen. How could we not look at the empty tomb and leave with a sense of wonder? How can we not look at the empty tomb and leave in praise? That's what we see happening not only in this passage, but for the rest of Scripture. The people who saw the resurrected Christ, who heard the gospel and had it affirmed by the, 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 the post-resurrection account of Jesus, they gave their life to this. They were willing to die for this because it was real. And we sit here today as the church in the wake of that faithful response of worship. And then secondly, not only do they worship Jesus and declare their love for him in praise, they express their joy in declaring the good news to others. And we must as well. Having found unique gospel joy in Jesus the call is for us to express that to others. Come and see, but also go and tell. The women are obedient to the, the direction of the angel, the command of Christ to go and tell the disciples who apparently listen to them because in verse 16, they go to Galilee. And guess who's there? Jesus, alive. Joy expressed in worship should also be joy shared in evangelism. Because sharing joy increases the joy. This news is not meant to be whole, held to ourselves, friends. This, this news is meant to be declared. This news is meant to be shared. Listen, as a church, we don't give good advice. We don't just tell good stories. We proclaim good news. That he ain't in the tomb. He's alive. Just as he said, we should share it amongst the people of God to point each other and encourage each other to, to faithfulness to go and see Jesus. But we should also proclaim this to the nations because it should be our desire that every single person hear what God has done for them in Christ and join us in worshiping the Father, worshiping our creator as we were created to because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. Let me ask you, do you have this gospel hope? Yes. 
Have you seen the resurrected Lord and responded in worship? And your first act of worship, if you've never given your life to Christ, your first act of worship should be to repent and believe. To say, Jesus, I recognize that what you did on the cross is because of me. That I rebelled against my creator, God. I did not do what he expected or asked of me as his creation. And because of that, there was a a gap that existed between me and him that I could never cover. But in your grace, according to your design plan, you sent the son to come to meet me when I could not come to meet you. And now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the cause of that gap has been covered. Only he could do it. And now I'm going to give my life to him to walk in freedom and life. Have you allowed the greatest turning point in the history of the world to become the greatest turning point in your life by giving your life to Jesus? If you haven't, if you can't join in the testimony that we hear amongst us today, in just a minute we'll have some ministers and pastors here at the front. We'd love to encourage you, pray with you if you feel the Lord drawing you to himself today on this Easter Sunday. Not a better way to celebrate the resurrected Lord than to give your life to him. If you have, will you join these women in worshiping King Jesus today, directing your eyes, your focus, your heart to him? Because it's amazing how when we just sit and reflect and think on the reality that Jesus is alive, how everything else we, we deal with in this world gets proper perspective. I know there are people in this room who are dealing with really heavy things. I know we all in this room feel the weight and the brokenness of this world, but I'm here to declare to you today, not to diminish, not to diminish that, but to say, if Jesus is alive, if he is truly alive and he is, everything's gonna be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And then finally, would you commit to tell? Would you allow the Lord to use you and the way that he did these women and the way that he did these disciples and the way that he did Matthew to share the news that he's not in the tomb, he's alive just as he said. Listen, our job's kind of easy. All we gotta do is tell people that the Lord is the one who saves. We just declare. And listen, the reality of the cross is something that cannot be ignored. The reality of the resurrection is something that cannot be ignored. There's a, a famous scholar and skeptic of Christianity named E.P. Sanders who wrote this about his study of the resurrection narratives. I don't regard deliberate fraud as a worthwhile explanation of the resurrection accounts. Many of the people on these lists were to spend the rest of their lives proclaiming that they had seen the risen Lord, and several of them would even die for their cause. That Jesus' followers, and later Paul, had resurrection experience is, in my judgment, a fact. What the reality was that gave rise to those experiences, I do not No, he doesn't want to believe 
but he cannot get over the fact that something changed that day, that the course of human history changed that day. And what he does not want to believe, we declare joyfully by the grace of God. The reason why these people were willing to give their life, the reason why we exist as a church is because Jesus is really alive. You can't ignore it. You may reject it, but our prayer is that you would receive it and that you would step into the hope, the victory that that resurrection provides. Praise be to God. Jesus is not in the tomb. He is alive just as he said. Where we are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to our time before the word of God today. Again, do you know Jesus? Are you following him? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you could be saved. Because that confession and that belief is from God. Again, let me ask, have you allowed the greatest turning point, the greatest event in the history of the world to become the defining turning point of your life by following Jesus? Again, come talk to us. We'd love to pray with you in just a minute. For the rest of us who by God's grace believe and declare that Jesus is alive because the tomb is empty, just as he said, may we worship King Jesus today. On this day, every day, for all of eternity because he conquered sin and death and he has allowed us to step into the promise of a resurrection life. And may we tell, maybe there's someone in your mind right now that the Holy Spirit's bringing to it to say, you need to declare that Jesus is alive to them. Let them wrestle with it. Let me do the work. You just need to declare it so that others can come and meet me and the place that I have prepared. Father, would you help us be a more faithful people on this Easter Sunday because of our time before the word today? We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.